0: Listening to this sermon from Garden City Methodist Church, we want to invite you to worship with us each Sunday at 10:30 a.m. either in person or online. You can come to our beautiful sanctuary at 62 Varnado Avenue, Garden City, Georgia, or you can worship with us online as we stream our services at GardenCityUMC.com. Our scripture this morning is from the Book of Isaiah, chapter one. We're going to start at verse 1 and then jump down to verse 10. The vision of Isaiah, son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I have enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who asked from this for your hand? Trample my courts no more. Bringing offerings is futile. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and calling of convocation I cannot endure. Solemn assemblies with iniquity. Your new moons and your appointed festivals, my soul hates. They've become a burden to me. I'm weary of bearing them. When you stretch out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rescue the oppressed. Defend the orphan. Plead for the widow. Come now, let us argue it out, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken." This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You all ever heard the saying that when all you've got is a hammer, every problem looks like a nail? When all you've got is a hammer, every problem looks like the nail. It says when you've got a solution already in mind, you try to use that solution for everything that comes up. Now I learned this myself because I am a lover of kitchen gadgets. And every time I get a new kitchen gadget in the kitchen, I try to cook everything with it. I remember when we were first married, uh, my first, like, good kitchen gadget, we got it uh, as a, a wedding gift, was a deep fryer. It was just a little, little pot with the boil, and it had a basket that you lowered into it. And doggone it if I didn't try to fry Everything. You ever had deep-fried spaghetti? It's not that great. Turns out, like, (laughs) a deep fryer can't cook everything, but I was going to try. That's why I look like I look now is because early on I deep-fried everything. But it's happened over and over a few years ago for Christmas, I got a sous vide one. If you're not familiar with sous vide, you vacuum seal meat and then you put it in a water bath at a controlled temperature and it just holds that temperature for a long time. The water never touches it, so it's not like getting boiled or anything, but then you take it out and you pat it off and you, then you sear it and it, it has this perfectly controlled meat. But you know what's not as great is sous vide corn. Turns out, when you cook corn overnight in a vacuum-sealed bag, it's not appreciably different from boiling it for 10 minutes. You just waste a lot of time and energy that way. But doggone it, I was going to cook my corn the way I wanted to cook my corn. I'm going to cook it in the sous vide. Because when all you've got is your sous vide hammer, every piece of food looks like a nail. Right? Right? The most recent one, we got a waffle maker. And you, <laughs> I was like, oh, I've got mashed potatoes. I'm going to cook those. I'm, leftover mashed potatoes in the waffle maker. That was actually turned out pretty good. That one worked out. But uh, a lot of times when I get this new kitchen gadget, that is my new kitchen hammer. And every food that I see, I'm like, I wonder how that would turn out in my new kitchen gadget. I wonder how that cookie would be deep fried you know, like, it just, I can't help it. That's what I like to do. So this is what I think happens sometimes when we approach the topic of justice. In Isaiah, God is talking to the church of the time, or, or the people of God, Israel. And what he's saying to them is that you are, are doing all of these things pious things. You're preventing, presenting all these sacrifices, you're, you're doing all of these pious works, but there are widows and orphans in your city that are going hungry. And so like all the sacrifices in the world don't make me happy if you're not doing justice. There's criminals getting away with it in your cities, and, we don't, and, and all of the, the pious acts in the world aren't worth it if, if people aren't safe at night. And so God is, is reading on the riot act here through the mouth of Isaiah, saying that, you know, all the incense, all the blood, all the sacrifice, all the festivals, my soul hates them and they become a burden to me because your hands are full of blood. And I think sometimes, especially in our day and age, we think of justice like a hammer and everything else looks like nails. For example, th- these. People saw the lens of justice with the church hammer, right? Oh, well, if I just get everybody to church and if we just worship right enough, then everything will be okay. If these poor people would just come to church, then we'd take care of them. But Because they're not here, we don't know about them. But that's not the just world that God calls for. The church hammer can't produce a just world because only the spirit of God can do that. We cannot afford to wait until people come and ask us for help in order to provide them help. We've got to go out into the world and do it ourselves. Can the division of all? Well, if, if everybody would just come and worship Jesus then everybody would get their hearts transformed and then there wouldn't be any crime and people would just give to the poor because because. Their hearts want to. But that's not how things worked out in Isaiah. That's not really how things work out now. We've got to be engaged with the world if we're going to do this. John Wesley said it himself. He says, directly opposite to to this that we're talking about is the gospel of Christ. Solitary religion is not to be found in the gospel of Christ. Holy solitarities is a phrase no more consistent with the gospel than holy adulterers. The gospel of Christ knows of no religion but social, no holiness but social holiness. We can't just afford to be holy and pious by ourselves and, and corner ourselves off from the world and expect to please God. There has to be the way that we interact with other people. to to please God. We have to be taking care of the poor. We have to make sure that the victims get justice for, for the people that have perpetrated against them. So the church hammer doesn't produce a just world. We have to get outside the walls of the church and treat the least of these like we would treat Jesus. Our faith has to show up in our civic lives. So in the civic world, there are these other two hammers. Oh, yeah, okay, I debated about this. I brought a hammer for a visual reference. Does this do anything for y'all? I think I'm going to hold it. Just for fun. So there, there are two kind of hammers that our world sees in the way of justice. You know, we've got kind of the church hammer that doesn't, doesn't go outside the walls of the church, and that doesn't really do much. That's not enough for what God wants. And in, the, in America in 2022, you've kind of got two hammers when it comes to justice. You've got the criminal justice hammer, and you've got the social justice hammer. And it feels like for people who believe in criminal justice, that social justice is a dirty word. And you've got people that believe in social justice, criminal justice is a dirty word. Right? You've either got your social justice warriors or your law and order people, and, and there's not much kind of mix in between them. But what I am here to try to tell us is that people are not nails and justice is not a hammer. And that we cannot afford to silo ourselves off in one of these hammers. We've got to look at the world as people that Jesus loves. So you got your folks with the criminal justice hammer, and there are, the idea of criminal justice it boils down to individual responsibility, right? People are sinful, and they have to take responsibility for the ways that they sin, and God has given us this task of, of, of punishing the people that are sinful, taking them out of the equation so that, people that aren't going around committing these crimes will have a safe society to live in. And that's right. And and there are men and women who put their personal safety on the line every single day in our police precincts in order to stop other people from unjust, unjust acts of violence and unjust acts of thievery. And this is a good thing. And those people should be commended for the hard work that they do. Criminal justice is necessary in a world of sin. It just is. And, and, you know, people can complain all day long about the system being corrupt. And it might be in some cases, but I'd rather live in America with our system of justice than anywhere else in the world. It's just how I feel about it. So I think criminal justice is right and good and it is, it is something that we should strive for and it is something that we should support. But I don't think that criminal justice alone can produce a just world. The, the vision of a just world that just has criminal justice says that if people would just stop doing crimes, then we would have equality. Right? If we could just stop people from stealing from others, if we could just stop people from hurting other people, then we would have equality in our, in our world and it would produce a, a system where everybody kind of gets equal opportunities. But we know that's not true. We know that, that there are people that have not been victims of crime that, that are just behind, that don't have equal opportunities. And we also know that There are people with wealth and power that get away with stuff the rest of us could not get away with. Right? If you have the right connections, then you can drive as fast as you want to. If you have enough money, you can lobby the legislation and get laws passed that you want passed. Wealth and power can influence the way that laws are written and laws are enforced. So A criminal justice hammer, in and of itself, cannot produce the kind of just world that God is looking for in in Isaiah. It just can't. Because it's too prone to corruption. It's too liable to money and power and influence. So then you've got folks that say, okay, the criminal justice system is corrupt. We need social justice. And they've got the social justice hammer. I don't know about y'all, but this hammer's working for me. I love it. I just need to make sure I don't break anything with it. So social justice folks, they believe that we believe in original sin, but they believe that sin has corrupted all of the systems. And so the idea of social justice is that that we're focusing on the ways that sin has corrupted systems and we're changing the systems so that they produce equal effects. And there's good things about social justice. Social justice means that we listen to people when they tell us that they're oppressed. Social justice uh, believes that racial injustice is real, that poverty is real. But rather than asking the poor, rather than just giving poor people a handout or giving poor people individual help, we ask the question, why is this person poor? And try to do something about that. Of course, people that believe in social justice believe that criminal justice is is a dirty word for people who want to overlook privilege and oppression. The vision of a just world for social justice, is kind of the opposite of criminal justice. If criminal justice believes that if we can stop people from doing crimes, then everything will be equal, social justice believes that if everything was equal, then people would do fewer crimes. Right? If, if everything was equal, then people wouldn't have to steal to, in order to, to make it a living. If everything was equal, then people wouldn't be so angry that they would go out and commit murders. So, kind of, they're opposite visions of the just world. If everybody was equal, then they wouldn't do crimes, versus if we didn't have crimes, then people would be equal. But the problem with social justice is that dismantling systems doesn't fix sin. We need, we do need individual accountability. There could be a world where everybody has equal opportunities and people are still going to be greedy and they're still going to be violent and they're still going to be angry and we're going to have to do something about it. Fixing systems doesn't fix sin. Fixing sin doesn't fix systems. So by itself, a criminal justice hammer can't produce a just world and by itself, a social justice hammer cannot produce a just world what we need to do is look at the world like god sees it put the hammer down stop seeing people as nails because god when god looks at the world he does not see nails to be solved he sees children to be loved and to be cared for and isaiah makes it clear god hates oppression he hates poverty and he hates violence And as the gathered body of God's people, he expects us to do what we can to make sure that the spaces that we inhabit are as free of those things as they can be, which means that we have to care about criminal justice, and we have to care about social justice. It means that we have to stop looking at our preferred hammer and trying to solve every problem with that, and instead open our minds and our eyes to see a world where criminal justice and social justice and the Spirit of God are working together to produce a just world with the people of God. It means that our faith has to bleed into our civic lives. Now, there's a problem when we talk about our faith bleeding into our civic lives because people get nervous because it's like, I just don't, I don't think my faith ought to be political And you get a lot of trouble when your faith mixes with your politics. And I think that's right. I don't think you should mix faith and politics too much. But there's a difference between civic duty and political engagement. Civic duty means that we take our faith into the public square. What we believe ought to affect how we behave in the public square. Politics is all about who you vote for. And I don't care who you vote for. I care that the values of your faith are being lived out in the public square. And there are politicians everywhere on the left and the right who have a hammer And they want you to believe that their hammer will produce the just world. If you just vote for me, I'll be tough on crime. And I'll swing this hammer at our city and it'll fix what's going on. Because that's the hammer that I've got. And so if you vote for me, all our problems will go away. If you vote for me, I'll dismantle the system. And I'll make sure everybody's equal. And I'll make sure that all the corruption goes away and and... I'll make it a socially just world, and if you just vote for me, we'll, we'll fix everything that's wrong with those other people's hammers. You see what I'm saying? They want to divide you by believing that their solution will fix every problem, that their hammer will squash every nail. Because they need you to believe that because they want to get into office. We're not talking about politics. We're talking about our faith bleeding out into our civic lives in the way that we engage the world around us. Civic life is how we navigate together as a community, whether as a city, as a country, or as a state. Civic life is how we manage what our collective values are. And sure, politicians are hired to help us manage our civic lives, But when we reduce civic engagement just to voting for our preferred party or candidates and then forget about it until the next election comes up, we're, we're we're, we're abandoning our posts as people who are called to engage in our civic lives. God calls us to care about what's happening on the civic level. But that doesn't mean that he wants us to get into the grime and dirt of partisan politics. That's not what this is about. And so, you know, this, I didn't bring this up. This is actually just the lectionary text for this week. So I, I actually read this and I was like, "Man, hey, I don't want to preach about justice, but, like, it's the lectionary text, so I'm going to do it. But our church is involved in all these kinds of different justice on different levels, and I'm really proud of the way we do it. I don't know if, if y'all probably don't know this, but I'm involved in a, in a group called the Garden City Faith Leaders. And one of the things that the Garden City faith leaders does is that we um, are, work closely with the police and public servants in Garden City. And so, like, when the police have someone that needs help, someone that is a victim of a crime, they call the pastors at Garden City for us to help them. And that's one of the ways that we can provide help for people and know that they really need it is because the police refer them to us or the firemen re- refer them to us. We had a family whose house burned down, and we were able to give them a place to stay for a couple days until they got it sorted out. And we the only reason we knew about it is because the police chief called the faith leaders of Garden City and, mo, and mobilized us to do that. We're working with our criminal justice system and, and, and our public servants in Garden City. And you know what drives me crazy is that the faith leaders every holiday try to get together to honor our police in somehow. We, we're, we keep trying to, like, feed them a meal or give them a gift or something like that. And every time, the police chief says, no, we'd rather you just give that money to people that need it. Like, we appreciate it. We, want, we like being honored and everything. But just give that, you know, buy a meal for someone who can't afford it. Like, we're trying to honor them, and they won't take it. Because the, the public servants in Garden City, man, they are truly are public servants. And they truly are looking out for our community. And and I have so much respect and honor for them. So I think the the criminal justice system, the justice system in our city, I mean, it's probably not perfect. I don't know all the details. And you could probably complain about it for ages. But the people that I've met, the public servants that I know, are people that deserve our respect and our our admiration. And I want to keep working with them and, and helping to make our city a more just place. And then, you know, when I first got here, um, we, were, we were involved with this group called Just, which means Justice Unites Savannah Together. And I know this has been a controversial uh, group for our church, and it is something that, honestly, when I first got here, I was kind of skeptical about it. I was like, I don't know about these folks. It seems kind of like a hippy-dippy thing for me. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but I've been involved with them for over a year, and Just, um, I think they're doing good work. I'm so happy that I've been involved with them because the, the idea behind Just is that our city government in Savannah and our county government in Chatham County is out there spending money every year. They're spending our taxpayers' money on things. And there are wealthy people out there that lobby the city government to spend their money on their things. Our idea is that we lobby the city government to spend money on the poor. That's it that we want our city government through civic engagement, not political engagement, because they don't endorse candidates. They never talk about voting ever. But we're lobbying our city government to take the money that they might spend on, I don't know, something stupid. (laughs) This place is stupid out there. And to spend it on building affordable housing for the poor. That's our faith living out in civic engagement. It's doing what we can to, to help address the causes of poverty, one of which is that, man, there's just nowhere for poor people to live in Savannah. That's not outrageously expensive. So I think we're doing good work on both of these fronts. We're doing good work on, on the church hammer, of getting people involved and invited to worship God and be transformed by God. We're doing good work with the the. Social justice hammer through the work of just. We're doing good work with the criminal justice hammer by by being involved with the public servants in our city. And we need all of these things if we're going to do something about the plight of the poor and the oppressed and the widows and the orphans and the victims of crime in our city. So I I just want to encourage us. Let's keep it up. Let's keep doing good work. Let's keep honoring God. So that when we bring our ourselves to the altar, God doesn't say, your hands are full of blood. You're not taking care of the poor, so I don't care about what you have to offer me. That God will accept our offering and it will be sweet to him because he knows that we care. I think one of the ways that we can help too is to just engage our imaginations in our city, in our civic lives. Walter Brueggemann says the point that a prophetic imagination must ponder is that there is no freedom of God without justice and compassion. And there's no justice and compassion without a religion of the freedom of God. we got to have both. We get to imagine the ways that God is working in our city. I was talking to a friend of mine this week. Uh, about this sermon and kind of some of my anxiety about it, and he was saying that he he was reading a book lately, and I forget what the book was, but he was talking about how, according to that author, the, the witness of the New Testament is that the needs of the people are sacred to God. This is why Jesus says, what you've done for the least of these, you also do to me, because God cares so much about the needs of the people in our community that they ought to be sacred to us. Because what we do for the people who are needy is, the, is also the thing that we're doing for Jesus. People need safety. They need to be able to sleep at night knowing that they're going to be safe. They need that criminal justice to, to make sure that they're safe. They need provision. They need a place to sleep. They need... Folks to rally around and and help them get affordable housing. That doesn't mean that the wants of the people are sacred. There are tons of people that confuse their needs with their wants and want to make their wants out to be uh, a sacred thing. That's not what I'm talking about. The the legitimate needs of human beings are sacred to God and they ought to be sacred to us. And like, we're not going to get it perfect. We're not going to make a fully just world on our own because that's just that's not going to happen until on this side of heaven. But Isaiah makes it clear that we are on the hook to be engaged in the work of justice in our civic lives. We cannot afford to sequester ourselves away and sing songs and preach sermons and let the world duke it out. Whatever the, you have done for the least of these, you've also done for Jesus. God has uniquely empowered his people with the truth of his gospel, which transforms lives and ought to be transforming the world that those lives are in. He expects us to live out our faith in public, which looks like justice. He expects us not to just care about individual poor people, but to care about why people live in poverty. He expects us to care enough about the victims of violence and greed to punish the perpetrators and keep them from doing it again. He expects us to look with compassion and mercy at the widow and the orphan and the homeless and the desperate and do what we can to leverage what we have to help them. God is calling us to lay down our hammers and instead of seeing nails and problems to solve, see people to love. And so today, if you think that social justice is a dirty word, I want to encourage you to begin to listen and to think about the ways that inequality has been a real problem. And if you're the kind of person that thinks criminal justice is a dirty word, I want to encourage you to think about the ways that our public servants put their lives on the line to protect the vulnerable, and to be grateful and encouraging of that work. We do not have to choose one over the other, and we ought to be able to critique both. So how can we change our minds today about what justice looks like and invite God to show us a new way? Today, we're taking communion. I want to invite you to come to the altar and meet with Jesus today and ask Jesus the simple question, what can I do in my civic life that will be a witness to you? Let's pray. God, we have fallen hook, line, and sinker for the division that the politicians want to put us in. Thinking we have to choose a hammer when we talk about justice. Thinking that we can solve all of our society's problems with that one method. But God, you have called us to be people of justice, You've been called us to be people who don't just squirrel ourselves away and worship on Sundays, but who are involved and take our faith into the public square. People who care for the poor, who care for the hurting, who want your good news to make a difference in the world around them. So God, I pray that you'll make it so for us. God, give us the humility to be able to change our minds and give us the strength and the courage to live out our faith in public. In your name I pray, amen.